Solomon loved the Lord, that he followed all the decrees of his father, David. Except that Solomon, too, offered sacrifices of burnt incense at the local places of worship. The most important of these places of worship was at Gibeon. So the king went there and sacrificed a thousand burnt offerings. How many burnt offerings? A thousand. Not one. Not ten. A thousand burnt offerings. I don't know how much you know about burnt offerings in this time, but it was an animal sacrifice, and I'm not talking about sacrifice of a squirrel or a cat or a goat. These were bulls. Not just any bulls. They would tell us that they are what they would call choice bulls. In other words, just like the cream of the cream, if you will. And they would put it up on this altar and they would burn this bull completely. Now, how many of you know if he's doing a thousand bulls, this was not a short-term experience. Solomon was in this for something significant. It says that that night, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream. And God said, what do you want? Ask, and I will give it to you. My question for you this morning is this. What level of worship does it take to where God comes to you and asks you what you want? What level of worship and devotion does it take to where God is coming and interrupting and asking you what is it that you have need of? We're going to look at this this morning. Father, we love you. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for the moments that we share. Your presence is so sweet in this place. And I ask that you speak to us this morning through your word. Lord, your word is already anointed, but would you anoint me as your vessel to communicate your heart and your word to your people? For it is the only things that transform us. It's the only things that we can build our lives on. So challenge us, encourage us, equip us today. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said... Amen. You can grab your seats just right where you are. Our preacher's famous last words is, I'm not going to preach long this morning, but I'm not. I'm not going to preach long this morning. What level of worship does it take for God to come and ask of us, what do you have need of? What do you want? Anything, just ask. It was yesterday morning as I woke up, the day after Christmas, that always interesting next morning where you're wondering if your kids are just as excited about the gifts today as they were yesterday. And I remember literally as I opened my eyes, I had something else kind of planned for this morning, but almost as audible as, you know, normally I've reached that age and stage of life where uh, my body wakes up before my mind does and my words do, and all those things. My, bo- my body jolts a bit. You know, we, uh, our oldest, Landon, he's eight years old. He is from just inception, uh, has always been an early riser, and he gets up usually around, it was about 5 o'clock in the morning. Now we've, we've moved on to 5.30 in the morning. We're thankful for those extra 30 minutes. It's proof that God is still moving in our lives. And so after eight plus years of always having to at least wake up, I never got out of bed. Lindsay was the one that always got out of bed. Let's just make things really uh, plain here for you think more highly of me than you should, okay? 
um, I always knew that Mama had it taken care of, which she always did. And so my body jolts before anything else turns on in my body. And I remember yesterday morning was no different, but except when my body jolted awake, it's almost literally like, like a, a, a jerk I feel like that I wake up with. It's because probably of so many times of, you know, my son coming to my side of the bed and whose face is this close to my face going, Dad, right? Like years of that is probably why my body just is ready for the spit in the eye uh, as soon as I wake up. And as, as I jolted awake with my PTSD in the morning, I really felt the Holy Spirit just say, this phrase that I want to just speak very briefly, take us through a couple of portions of scripture about being positioned for a miracle. Positioned for a miracle. I, I was the weirdest feeling. I can't really describe it. I don't know that I've had many experiences like this where literally I, as I jolted awake, I just heard that phrase loud as a bell in my ear, positioned for a miracle. I was like, yes, Lord, won't you do it? You know what I mean? Like, is this the position? Is it lying on my pillow? Lord, I will lay here as long as it takes if this is the position to be in. Positioned for a miracle. And I, I began to think about this statement about being positioned for a miracle. I began to realize that, you know, we don't ever stumble into miracles. It's not like one day you wake up and you hit your head on a miracle. You look through Scripture time and time again, every miracle that Jesus performed, it was never a coincidence. It was never like, oh, would you look there? Blind eyes opened. It, it was never any of those things. It was always every single person that encountered the presence and the power of Jesus positioned themselves to get their miracle. Blind Bartimaeus was not just picking any street to sit on. He knew that there was this route that Jesus was taking. He knew that there was this much fanfare that was taking place. And although he couldn't see Jesus in the natural, he knew how to get himself to a place of being positioned for Jesus to see him and him to receive his miracle. The woman with the issue of blood knew about this man named Jesus who moved her, his way through the crowd. And she knew if I could just get into the right position, I could receive my miracle. It was go through story after story after story. It was four friends with a, a paralyzed man on a mat that understood that, hey, listen, if I stay outside, uh, he's never going to get his miracle. But if I work my way into getting to the correct position, then he can receive his miracle, positioned for a miracle. And it's really realizing some fundamental truths that I just want to remind you of this morning as we're bringing conclusion to a whirlwind of a year that has brought much pain, that has brought much uncertainty, that has brought change both voluntarily and involuntarily in our lives. A, a year that maybe has caused you to question things that you've never questioned, pray prayers that you've never prayed before, and completely look at life differently. You need to understand that I've never met a person who wasn't in need of a miracle. But miracles aren't God's pursuit of us it is God's response to our faith. That every miracle that God has ever provided and ever will provide will never be out of the severity of your need. It will always be out of the amount of faith that you have. We've looked at this extensively over these last several weeks and frankly months as we've been closing out the year on this journey of being rich in faith, building our faith realizing that faith is this currency that unlocks heaven. A lot of what we've talked about over these last several weeks. But God does not provide miracles in responses to needs. 
it is always in response to faith. Let me take this step. Let me take a little bit maybe more aggressive language. That God does not respond to your needs. Matter of fact, God's desire is not to meet your need. Ooh, I'm, I'm challenging some theology in the room right now. God does not move in the miraculous to meet your need. Scripture describes that God has already given us everything that we need for godly living. God instituted this, this system through the church, through his people. We've heard this time and time again that the church is not a building, it's a people. That are people who were called by his name, as people who are made in the image of him, who have devoted their lives to him as personal Lord and Savior. And so he has actually put as the mechanism, if you will, the system in place for meeting needs is actually the church. That the church is designed to meet needs. You've heard this time and time again in every single probably church service that you've been in or church that you've been with for any length of time. Did you know that the church would never need to do a building campaign if everybody tithes? Building campaigns are to, and things along those lines of expansion of the vision. It's not that there isn't resource that God has given man, but the problem is an obedience thing. Now, don't worry. This isn't a message around tithes and offerings. I'm not taking up a special offering at the end of the message today or anything along those lines. So just go with me for a minute. Did you know that there's hungry, starving, broken, homeless people all around the world, not because there's not enough money in the world, but because we as people decide which needs we're going to support and meet and which ones that we aren't. So God's never looking at the severity of a need. He's already provided the earth to meet every need that is in existence today. It's part of why it kind of breaks our heart, right? It breaks our heart to see people with, with much and people with little and understanding that it's not that there isn't enough money in the world. It's not that there isn't enough supplies or resources in the world. It's that for some reason only certain people get their needs met and others don't. So God's never looking at the severity of a need as to how he produces a miracle. It is always in a response to our faith. It's not that God doesn't care about your need. 100% God cares about the lack in your life. But God's miracle power, once again, is not in a pursuit of you. God's miracle is always in a response to faith. Are you with me this morning? Just keep going with me. I can already feel, I feel I've ruffled some feathers, but just keep coming with me, all right? It's going to be good, I promise. Faith is the only thing that God responds, responds to. God only responds with miracles to faith. If I believe that he is able, that word faith we've looked at extensively to mean divinely persuaded. I'm divinely persuaded that God, you are able and you will move in this area. It's not a matter of God's desire, but God responds. Once again, I'm going to keep drilling this point home. God responds with the, with the miraculous to the faith that we have. Says he doesn't see your need, but he's not responding to your need. He's responding always to your faith. Always in response to our faith. And so what does it mean to be positioned for a miracle? Because if I said right now in the room, who in here needs some semblance of a miracle? If you need a miracle in your life, raise your hand. It would be 100% raising of hands. And those who didn't raise your hands, you'd be lying. You need a miracle somewhere. Maybe it's in your finances. Maybe it's in your health. 
Maybe it's in relationships, certain relationships being restored. And many, and many other things as well. But there's a 100% guarantee that all of us are in need of a miracle. So how do I position myself? Maybe this year you've suffered so much loss through 2020. Only a miracle can replenish what you feel like has been taken away from you this year. It's funny to me how on January 1st, every single year, we think that everything changes. Isn't it funny? It's this like psychological switch that gets flipped. January 1st, woo, new beginnings, all things new. It's like it, every day is a new day. You could wake up at midnight every night and go, woo, new beginnings. 24 hours, baby, clean slate. Right? Sounds foolish, but that's what we do every year. December 31st, we think when the clock strikes 12 and the calendar flips over, all of our problems go away. All of a sudden, we're full of faith. All of a sudden, we're getting in the gym. All of a sudden, we're coming back to church. All of a sudden, we, it's, ooh, birds are singing, chirping. All my problems seem so distant when nothing has in the natural changed. But do you think it has? What does that show you? It shows the power of belief. You have faith to believe that when the clock strikes 12 and the calendar changes, that all of a sudden, there's all sorts of new opportunities. Nothing changed. Just your mindset did. Just your belief did. Frankly, just your faith did. And you've got more faith in a clean slate, a figurative clean slate in a new year, than you do in the God who's placed you here. How do I position myself for a miracle? I want to give you four very quick, brief things that I believe. As I'm stepping in, as we're, all of us are stepping into the finality of just the calendar and the starting of a new one, how do I position myself? If I truly believe, as we've been talking about extensively over these last several weeks, that he who began a good work in me is faithful to carry it on to completion, how do I, in this middle ground, how do I continue to believe that the same God who gave me the new beginnings of 2020 it's still the same God as I close out this year. Four positions that I believe you need to be in to receive your miracle. The first position is this. The position of an open-handed pursuit. The position of an open-handed pursuit. There's a story in 1 Samuel. In 1 Samuel chapter 1, we're going to read just a couple of verses in just a second. But before I do, let me tell you where we are. 1 Samuel chapter 1, we read this story in, of this barren woman, and her name is Hannah. Hannah's unable to conceive a child, but yet her dream, her goal, her aspiration is to be a mother. But she doesn't just want to be a mother because now she's gotten so long in this journey of being able, unable to get pregnant, she's gotten even more specific with her request. She, I don't just want a child, God. I, I need a son. I need a, I need a son that can, that can carry on this lineage. I need a son. It's just in, in context of society in that day, if you had a daughter, you were mocked. You were, women were, were viewed as less than. You were only taken seriously or legitimate if you were able to produce sons. That was the day and age that they lived in. So she goes, look, I may only get one crack at this, so I need a son. And for all of you in this room, maybe this morning, who maybe feel like Hannah, barren, 
that you've never really given birth to anything, let alone anything of significance, whether literally in the area of a child or figuratively in the area of what you feel like your promise is, what you feel like your purpose is. Can I tell you something? If you read the Bible cover to cover from Genesis to Revelation, every barren woman, when God came and supernaturally provided a child, never gave birth to a normal child. Every barren woman in Scripture that God ultimately came touched and miraculously provided a child, they gave, a fa- they gave birth to the father of a nation. They gave birth to a healer. They gave birth to a deliverer. They gave birth to a prophet. So if you think that there's a delay, and if you think that there is a barrenness in your heart or in your spirit, can I tell you something? It's because what God is wanting to birth on the inside of you is not normal. It's not average. It is the birthing of a nation. It is the birthing of a promise. It is the birthing of a declaration. If it's taking long, it just means it's because it's bigger than you think it is. Can I just tell you that? Maybe you thought 2020 was supposed to be the year of birthing, but can I tell you something? Maybe it was just the year of positioning and preparation because what God is ultimately wanting to do in your life is bigger than your brain can comprehend. We see it time and time again. We see it through Hannah, this position of an open-handed pursuit. The first place that God wants to do miracles is an open-handed people. People who say, God, if you do this in my life, I promise I won't hold on to it or hoard it to myself. I won't keep it to myself, but I will continually give it back to you. Let's read it. First Samuel chapter 1, verse 10 says this. Hannah was deep in anguish, and she was crying bitterly. And as she prayed to the Lord, she made this vow. O Lord of heaven's armies, if you would look upon my sorrow and answer my prayer and give me a son, then I will give him back to you, and he will be yours for his entire lifetime. And as a sign that he has been dedicated to the Lord, his hair will never be cut. The first position to be in is this open-handed position that says, God, if you give it to me, I promise to sow it right back into you. I promise that to only use it to advance, to point people to you, to advance into advancing your kingdom. Can I tell you something? God is not interested in providing things to us that does not advance his kingdom. But if we are a people that says, God, whatever you place in my hands, whether it's a child, whether it's a promise, whether it's finance, whether it's influence, I promise not to hoard it for myself, but rather to point people to you. Can I tell you something? If you can't figure out how to turn it back to God, don't expect it. If you read the rest of Hannah's story, can I tell you something? Her life didn't end with the birth of Samuel. She actually had six children before she died. Because if we give God the first, we know this, the rest is blessed. She was barren. She was weeping. She was crying out year after year, barrenness after barrenness. But she wasn't giving birth to something average. She wasn't giving birth to something natural. Wasn't giving birth to something that was just same old, same old, but rather was birthing something much bigger. And anything given to God is never something lost. It's always something planted. And in the kingdom of heaven, anything that's planted brings harvest. Scripture says 30 times, 60 times, 100 times over. How do I position myself for a miracle? The first position I must be, I must have, is the position of open hands, an open-handed pursuit. Are you with me this morning? Three more I'm going to give you. I'm going to do it all in 12 minutes. Think I can do it? Probably not. All right, well, here we go. Number two. The position 
of preparation. The first position is the position of an open-handed pursuit. The second position is the position of preparation. I don't have time to read the story, but we read a story in 2 Kings chapter 4. 2 Kings chapter 4 of this woman and her sons, and they're starving. They're hungry, but yet they have no money. They have no way to, to pay off the debt that they already have, let alone fill their stomachs naturally. So they go and find a man of God, and they say, hey, I've got this need. And he says this. He says, go and get some jars. Go and get some jars. Ultimately, what's about to happen is a miracle is about to be performed. But the first and only really instructions this woman gets is go and gather some jars. As a matter of fact, Scripture describes, she says, what do you have? She says, nothing other than just a couple of jars. She says, great, we're going to use the little that you have. But he says this, he says, go around to your neighbors, go around to the town and see and gather as many jars as you can, as many jars as possible. In other words, you're going to prepare yourself, get together the resources for what's about to happen. So I just out of anticipation, out of crazy faith, that I know it doesn't make sense in the natural of why I would tell you to go get jars, but I just need you to go get some jars. She goes out, she gets some jars because God wants to do a miracle. The man of God wants to do a miracle, but he needs somewhere to put it. Can I, say, can I ask you a question? If God answered your prayer right now, would you have a place to put it? If God moved in that miracle that you're believing for, would you have a place to put it? A place to steward it? A place to take care of it? When she went and she got the jars, the miracle started. But I was reading this story this week, and I felt the Holy Spirit say this. You know, the miracle wasn't supposed to ever stop. She actually grabbed too few of jars. The miracle that we read in 2 Kings chapter 4, it says that every jar that came, the oil flowed. And it says this, and when there were no jars left to fill, the oil stopped. It did not say the oil stopped and conveniently there were no jars left. It says when there was nothing left for the provision to fill, then the flow stopped. The design was never for the oil to stop flowing. But the oil stopped as soon as there was nothing left to fill. And so the position of preparation is saying, I am preparing myself. I'm preparing the areas of my life, the silos of my life, the jars of my life. What are these jars? They're, they're figurative, if you will. They're an illustration of, of wisdom. God, it has, it's never an issue with the supply. It's never an issue with God's desire to move in and through our lives. But the question, God is, cannot fill something that it cannot contain. This preparation. Would you have a place to put it if your miracle happens today? Now we read the story in 2 Kings 4 and God moves and it's miraculous and she, can't, she pays off the debt. She lives off of what's left over. She's able to feed her family again. But what would have happened if she grabbed more jars? The oil would have never stopped flowing. How do I position myself for a miracle first is I've got to be an open-handed pursuit. God, whatever you place in my hands, this thing that I'm crying out for, not that God doesn't want to move. Not that God doesn't want to respond. But it's a people that says, God, whatever you do in my life, I'll return it back to you. I'll sow it back to you. It's a people that say, Lord, I'm preparing, I'm preparing myself for you to move. 
preparing for you to come and, and to pour the oil, the people of preparation, the position of being prepared. Most of us think that if God would just respond to my needs, then I'll prepare myself and figure out how to do something with it. But it works the other way around. God's saying, go and gather the jars. Go and prepare yourself. Because the issue isn't about what I'm about to do. It isn't about, is there enough? It isn't about, do I have heaven's attention? It's that, can I contain? Can I steward? Do I have a system to maintain the miracle that I'm believing God for? Number three, the position of obedience. The position of obedience. After I become the the position of an open-handed pursuit, and then I become the position of preparation, I've got to have the position of obedience. Are you getting anything out of this this morning? Luke chapter 17, verse 12 to 14, reads it this way. Jesus, performing a miracle, says this. It says, as he entered, who is he? It's obviously Jesus. As he entered a village there, ten men with leprosy stood at a distance, crying out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. He looked at them and he said, go and show yourselves to the priest. Watch this. And as they went, as they went, they were cleansed of their leprosy. You know, there are some miracles that God performs. There are other miracles that God sends. I can imagine these lepers that probably at first felt a little gypped. You got to remember, Jesus kept performing all these miracles, and then he would say, shh, tell no one, right? And they'd be like, yes, Jesus. Everybody, Jesus has healed me. You know, like, I gave you one job, right? It's not that Jesus was trying to have undercover ministry or anything along those lines, but there was much more that he was trying to accomplish on the earth during his three-and-a-half-year ministry that he has before he's getting ready to be crucified. So he's trying to meet the needs of... Uh, he's, he's trying to perform these miracles and responses to people's faith and all this, all this stuff. And I can imagine that the lepers, they've heard all about Jesus because people cannot keep their mouths closed. Right? We know that. We know church people can't keep their mouths closed. Come on, somebody, right? You're sitting next to that person right now this morning, all right? <laughs> That's another message for another time. They know church people can't even keep their mouths closed. Like, man, it's Jesus. It's Jesus. I heard he spit in some dude's face, and, they didn't, and the dude didn't knock Jesus out. <laughs> Maybe he'll spit in my face, too, right? Come spit on my arm, Jesus. There's leprosy right there. Let me see you do it. Just spit. The holy spit in Jesus' name. Just do it. Just akaluki right there. I won't slap you, I promise. Man, I heard he placed his hands on this one little girl, and she raised to life. And woo, man, I can imagine what did Jesus' hands feel like on on her chest? Or or, or, maybe he'll touch me. Woo, maybe Jesus will touch me. I don't know about you. You get spit. Okay, I'm gonna let you get spit on. He's gonna touch me. He's gonna breathe his hot breath on you, and all of us are gonna be healed. Jesus looked at him and said, "Hey, go. Stay right there. (laughs) Turn around. Go see the priest." Like, hang on. I didn't get a touch. I didn't get spit. I didn't get to touch the hem of his robe. Imagine if they go, hey, we're not going anywhere till you touch us. Spit on us. Spit on him. Just touch me. Because as they went, the position of obedience, the position of obedience, for some of us, the miracle that we're believing God for is only going to do when, only going to happen, excuse me, when we do what he's already asked of us. when we actually are obedient to what he's already said to us. The miracle of obedience, the, the 
posture, the position of obedience. I remember, come on, how many of y'all were raised in a house where you heard this phrase, delayed obedience is disobedience, right? Ryan, I need to take out the trash. Yes, I will, as soon as this episode's over. Ryan, I need you to take out the trash. Yes, right? Then mom comes around the corner with a wooden spoon. Right? Like, hey, I, I heard you. Yeah, yeah, But delayed obedience is disobedience. I didn't say I need you to take the trash out when your show's over, son. I said I need you to take the trash out now. Right? And some of us, it's not a question of, once again, does God want to perform the miracle? We want to do the miracle. It's not that we have faith for a miracle, but God is waiting on us to be obedient to what he has already said. There are things that God has already asked you to do in the area of that business, in the area of that relationship, that you're going, yeah, God, but if you could just get there before I do, that'd be great. This position of obedience, some miracles only happen when we do what God's already told us to do. So maybe in this time of reflection, as we always do when we come to the end of the year and we look back at the year that was 2020, although most of us don't want to look back at the year that was 2020, what was the last thing that God told us to do? Or told you to do? When you started the year with all that promise and all that spunk and all that fanfare and you prayed and you fasted and you had visions and dreams, did you go and did you do what he told you to do back in January? And you've been frustrated all year, but you haven't still done what he asked you to do in January? God, would you move in December, but you haven't done what I've asked you to do back in January? In a position of obedience, and last but not least, and the band can come back up and join me if they're not already. Three of them are. Three amigos. You guys are amazing. The singers can come back. Last one is the position of extravagant worship. The position of extravagant worship. So we've had the position of an open-handed pursuit. We've had the position of obedience. We've had the position of preparation. And lastly, the position of extravagant worship. I take you back, 1 Kings chapter 3, verses 3 to 5. Let's read it one more time. It says, Solomon loved the Lord and followed all the decrees of his father David, except that Solomon too offered sacrifices and burnt incense at the local places of worship. And the most important of these places of worship was at Gibeon. So the king went there and he sacrificed a thousand burnt offerings. And that night the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream and God said, What do you want? Ask and I will give it to you. Now once again, these are a thousand bulls. This is no short experience. Not just any bulls, choice bulls, bulls that they would breed to try to replenish and try to go. When it was, wasn't uncommon, if you will, when a king, when someone was made king, they would sacrifice one bull. But Solomon essentially said this, if one is normal, I want to do a thousand. Because I never want my worship to be normal. If it doesn't cost me something, I don't even want to give it. It's this position of saying, listen, I'm going to do something unusual. I'm going to do something extravagant. I'm going to literally lay myself out there. If it means that I'm, if I look like a fool, right, David would say, you think this is undignified with my praise and my worship and my devotion to God, I'll be even more undignified than this. If it doesn't cost me anything, it's not worth anything. 
If your miracle doesn't cost you anything, it's not worth anything. Solomon says, if it's just simple and normal people, then every other king that comes before me has only done one bull. I want to do a thousand. I want to be extravagant in my worship. I want to be extravagant in my devotion. You know, I've never sat down with somebody and listening to about the the issues that are happening in their life, the issues that are happening in their marriage, and they go, you know what? My prayer and devotion life is amazing. And my life has gone to hell. It's just never happened. I have never, listen, I haven't been pastoring for that long. I'm only 30 years old, almost 31 years old. My birthday's in two weeks. Hello. Okay. Anyways, just a commercial break there for you. I haven't been pastoring long, but I've been in the ministry a really long time. Met with a whole lot of people in the short years that I've been on this earth. I've never, I've never once sat down with somebody and they go, man, my devotional time's amazing. My prayer life is on fire and my life is a living hell. I'm depressed all the time. I got anxiety all the time. I'm shortcoming and everything. No. I've never met somebody who was devotional in worship life and pursuit who Jesus is. Now I've met a lot of people who were doing all those things and their lives weren't, not that they didn't have needs, but their perspective on what was happening. How often have you heard me this year especially talk about that this has been a fight for your, this year has been a fight for your focus. It's been a fight for your perspective. It's been a fight for your viewpoint, right? I've talked about this ad nauseum. I have split it into almost every single message I've preached in 2020. Why? Proverbs 20, I think it's 29 and 8, if I'm not mistaken, it says, when people can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. But when they attend to what God reveals, they are most blessed. That word blessed does not mean that all of your issues go away. It does not mean that every financial lack is provided for. It means that you are content in your soul. It's not that my prayer and devotion life means that I have... A, I have I don't have needs in my life. But my perspective of what is happening, what God is doing, what God is orchestrating, it's all shifted. Through what? Through devotion, through prayer, through worship. Solomon said, if one is average, give me a thousand. Because unusual worship always gets an unusual response. My question to you is this. I'm going to have you do one thing. and We're going to sing a song. We'll just about be done this morning is when's the last time that you did something that meant you had to stop doing something for yourself? When was the last time that you did something out of worship and obedience to God that meant you had to stop doing something that only served you? This position of extravagant worship just sounds like overkill. Just sounds like too much. Just sounds like overdoing it. How do I position myself? That type of worship did not lead Solomon to come and beg God for wisdom. That type of worship got God's attention to where he came to Solomon and says, what do you want? What miracle do you need? Man. So 
how do I position myself for a miracle? I've got to be open-handed. I've got to have an open-handed pursuit. God, if you, if you move in this way, I've, I've got faith you're going to believe. I've got faith and belief that you're going to move and you're going to operate and you're going to provide in this way. And God, I'm telling you now, just like Hannah, if you'll give this to me, I promise to give it right back to you, to serve your house, to point people to you. I've got to have the position of preparation. God, I'm, I'm preparing myself, I'm preparing my life, my relationships, my business, my family, my finances, it says. Lord, if, if, when you move, if you move in this area, God, I've got containers to fill it in. I've got the ability to steward, to manage my miracle. I've got the position of extravagant worship. I've got the position of obedience. I'm positioning myself. I wonder as we close the year and step into a new one. Maybe we could just reposition ourselves. For what God, I believe, has been wanting to do all along. God's plan and purpose on the earth hasn't changed. I think some of us think it has. Oh, God is God's changing things again. If God changed as much as He thought He changed, He'd cease to be God. Because He wouldn't be the same yesterday, today, and forever. He'd be one way yesterday, one way today, and I don't know what he's going to be like tomorrow. He says, I am God, for I do not change. My ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. God's plan, purpose, desire for your life, and what he's been trying to do in the earth, has not changed from the foundations of time. But I wondered this morning, if we could just have a perspective shift, a positioning shift, slide to the left. Whatever direction we need to in our mind and our spirit, to position ourselves as open-handed people, position ourselves in preparation, position ourselves in obedience, and position ourselves with an extravagance of devotion, an extra- extravagance of worship. So I'm going to have you do this. I promise this is my third closing so you know I'm done. If you haven't already have your phone out or taken notes, something like that, can you do me a favor just to appease me? Can you get your phone for me? Or maybe a pen and paper. You can grab the blue room path next to you and you can use that as scratch paper. We're going to sing a song in just a second, but this is what I just really feel like I want you to do. I feel like the Holy Spirit is saying is this. Write down the miracle that you're believing God for. Because I've been talking all morning about miracles. I've been talking about positioning yourself. I've been talking about four just basic principles. What is the, what's the miracle that you're believing God for? Or what are the miracles? Maybe you need to write down a couple. But do me a favor, write down the real one. Write down the real one. I could feel a few of you all right now, but I just want to write down, to know you like never before, God. Write down the real miracle. Write down that relationship. Write down that financial situation. Write down that healing. Write down that whatever it is. I've been talking all morning. you got no shortage of needs. write down the miracle, the real one. You're not turning this in. You're not texting it. We're not putting it on the screen. You're not sharing it with your neighbor. Write down the miracle. And we're going to pray and we're going to sing this last song. After we sing that song, we're going to take up an offering, give you a few announcements, and we're going to be done. I've already told you how service is going to end. Surprise. 
but then it's going to be said. You can only worship with the lights off. Did you know that? It's true. But write down the miracle. Write down what you believe in God for. As we sing this last song, I want you, after you've written down your miracle, as a matter of fact, would you stand just right where you're at? If you're still writing, you can stay where you, you can stay seated. I know it's sometimes easier to type or to write when you're seated. After you've written that down, the band's going to lead us in this last song. We're going to declare this as we close out a year and into a new one. But I want you to hold those miracles in your hand. I want you to begin to pray over them during this song as well today. But I want you to think about those four things. God, if you'll move, I'll give this back to you. God, I prepare myself for what you're doing. God, I'm operating and walking in obedience to what you've said. And God, let this be the beginning as we sing of the extravagance of your worship, the extravagance of your devotion. Father, I pray over every need and every miracle that is written down on every device or piece of paper. And we align our faith today with the miracle worker, the miracle mover. God, and we ask you, would you come, would you meet us in this place today as we sing, as we declare your goodness. And we we promise, we, we accept the challenge of positioning ourselves in those ways, open hands, prepared, obedient, Lord, today we pour out our worship, our devotion on you. In Jesus' name we pray as we sing.